0: Hello
2: and welcome to the Good, the Dad and the Ugly, the fatherhood podcast. I'm Seth, a new dad, and on each episode you'll hear me and my good pal Jamie, Hello! who's also a new dad, as we chat with our special guest each month about everything that comes with modern day fatherhood. Along the way, you'll also get the latest highs and lows and thrills and spills as Jamie and I foray further into these unfamiliar, joyful and often choppy 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 waters, choppy waters, waters choppy waters, waters choppy water, choppy waters. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Good, the Dad and the Ugly, the fatherhood podcast. Uh, It's me, Seth, and I'm here with Jamie again. Hiya. Hi, Jay. Hi. Hi. So, yeah, just wanted to get a bit of housekeeping out of the way. Thanks, everyone, as always, for downloading, sharing, rating, and reviewing. That's great for us. It keeps, you know, it keeps the message out there, helps us uh, get the pod uh, as far as we can. So just carry on doing that as much as you can, anyone who hasn't done so already. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm very well. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good.
3: I uh, had a week off uh, work. Yeah, I yeah, went to the Cotswolds for a couple of days. Very nice. Which was good. Yeah. No, it was, it was some interesting experiences. Uh, what, what kinds? Well, the main one was we decided in our infinite wisdom to take her for a bit of a, a bit of a walk around. You know, you go to these places, you stay in the countryside, you stay in a pub or whatever, and you can see all these walks that you can go on. And we decided to take her for like this like two-mile walk, no, three-mile walk. That takes a couple of hours, whatever, three fields and that. And we got a bit lost. And then she was on the kind of, you know, those um, uh, Baby Bjorn kind of like yeah, slings. Yeah. And she was really good for like majority of the time. And then she started crying. And we were like, oh, she's just a bit tired, whatever. And then she was crying and crying and crying. We're like, oh, we're a mile from home. She'll be all right. And then we we're like, maybe we should check her to see if she's like weed or pooed or whatever. Yeah. And we had a look and... Not only she had pooed, she had gone through every like the three layers of clothing she was wearing, the kind of blanket she was wrapped up in, and the uh, sling that she was. How in. did that happen? It sounds like someone didn't do the nappy properly. No, I think what it was, I think she shut herself and then was trying to let us know, and we didn't really realise, and so then pissed loads, spread it around, right, and it kind of came flying out, and um, kind of disgusting. Well, we had to then strip her down change her on the side of the road loads of cars are like country road loads of cars going past completely naked then we had to wrap her. we couldn't then carry her home because the sling was all soaked through so i had to wrap her up in my jacket my like tweed jacket i was in the countryside so i was wearing tweed of course yeah um my tweed jacket and carry a naked baby home for like a mile didn't you have a change of clothes yeah, but it was, like, the thinnest thing, oh, like, right. and it was just, so, that was a bit of an, we were basically, I wanted to take a photo of it, and if, I didn't think that Nat would have killed me, right. had I just kind of gone, oh, just, wait, 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 right, I just need to take a, a photo of this before I help you out here, it was fucking, I mean, yeah, it was. Well, um,
2: I tell you what, that, you're lucky because she's not really eating solids yet, is she? Obviously not, she's only. No, exactly, she's only three months. Three months. Yeah. So, Eliza's, like, fully eating solids, like, three times a day now. Does and the I poo can, change like it's that? It's like, it's like. Human, human, adult shit. human poo.
3: Ugh. I saw my mate change his kids and he's like nearly two. And it was like, yeah, opened it up and went, oh, that's not a big one. Oh, it's just a little one. And it looked like the biggest shit I've ever done. <laughs> like, literally. Was and you've like,
2: seen some big ones from it.
3: Well, yes, recently, actually. I don't know why, but yeah. Um, but honestly, yeah, I can. I, I was like, how can you, Is when it's yellow and just like mush, you're like, oh, whatever. And it doesn't smell. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's, it's fine. stuff It's all right. It's like yeah, yeah. just milk, isn't it? Basically? Oh, yeah yeah rank i think i I see i keep thinking i've got this nappy thing changing it was like my biggest fear is like nappies and i'm like yeah whatever nappies are fine i think when i get to the solid stage so go on say what so you had a bit of an incident with the
2: well no no particular incident it's just like every time you have to change like the nappy it's it's yeah human poo you have to sort of hold your nose sort of away a bit but i suppose the saving grace though is that it tends to kind of keep in the same place it doesn't kind of go everywhere it doesn't spill everywhere yeah yeah she
3: hasn't done many of those to be honest with you it's kind of just uh, the odd couple of just kind of like being like explosions but um but i think we've i think we've strayed into too much poo talk straight away we have
2: what what else is new then
3: um not i mean bits and bobs really like we've had to get her passport photo done Mm. which is ridiculous at like you know just under three months. Like. We,
2: we had to do it because we were taking uh, Eliza to New Zealand when yeah. she was three months. We actually got it done when she was six weeks. Right. What's the point? She's not going to look like that for like in. Well, like, I bet she doesn't look like that now. No. Well, you could probably just about tell. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's not like a very good. If she was a terrorist, life. she'd get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. They should think about this. Baby but terrorists. there isn't really. I can't think of a. I suppose you could do like biometric kind mm. of. Ice game. Yeah, eye scans. They probably something.
3: thought this through, to be fair. Yeah. But what's new with you, anyway?
2: Uh, well, yeah, so aside from the the sort of, you know, the full-on eating, she's got a couple of teeth coming through. So, yeah, when does teething start? Because
3: someone said that they reckon Matty was teething, but that's too early, surely.
2: Um, we thought it was starting months ago, like mm. when she was five or six months, she started like getting sort of irritable in the evenings and having this sort of rash like on her chin and we were sure that's what it was and maybe it was Mm. but there was like no sign of teeth anywhere but then just the other day i noticed i looked in her mouth and there was these two little kind of like things just like yeah but they weren't fully like you you could easily not see it yeah but in the last few days they've just crept up Uh,
3: and has she changed is she like getting really like like is she in pain do you reckon i you know
2: what she's handled it remarkably well yeah yeah she hasn't been too bad in the night so
3: it's amazing the things you don't know Like i thought i would be clued up on at this stage but i have no idea when they start teething i've no I idea when they go to nursery big,
2: i mean for instance like we've got a friend who's um who's got a, a child who's uh, a little boy who's just a little bit younger than eliza and his he's had teeth for the last couple of months right so it, i think it, it really does vary and some yeah. people don't like Teeth for the first time until like they're over one. Okay, so yeah, we should probably get on in yeah. a second. Introduce our guests, but I just wanted to kind of make one last point because this is actually quite a big deal. We we started sending Eliza to the childminder for the first time. Oh
3: right, this yeah. week.
2: Okay, because I was on the shared uh, parental leave that I talked to a little bit about last time. Yeah, yeah, and it sort of ended. Finally, yeah. Um, oh, you. I had, you I had a couple of weeks where it's basically just me and Eliza as and, as the primary care. How coach. was that? It was like wonderful. Yeah. Like, it was. I mean, it was. It was. T- it's not like easy. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. But it was like. I mean, I. I feel so much, sort of closer to her. Yeah, like, right. I Know her who she is a lot more than I've did who is before. She? Who is she? Well, she's like, a baby, even about oh. nine months old. <laughs> Fair um, enough. That's the yeah. It's probably she's got a two here. little teeth, as yeah. we've discussed. Yeah, she's almost crawling. But yeah, I'd take her to the childminder for the first time and, and leave her there. And leave her there. And how was that? Uh, it was. Um, you know what? Like the build up to it, the, yeah. the, the the sort of few days beforehand was quite kind of. I had the sort of sense of sort of impending sort of doom, yeah. uneasiness. But then the actual day of it was fine because okay. the the childminder that we're sending it to is re- like really, really lovely person. And she was like, Eliza was fine when we handed her over because she, she doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. I just sort of like dropped her off and was like, laters. And then, you- and then just, yeah, and then that was that. And I, and I was like, "She yeah, she's going to be fine. So, you and weren't she a, was.
3: And you weren't a blubbering mess.
2: <laughs> no, I wasn't. Okay. Well, going, well, done. To- yeah. Anyway. Anyway, enough about us. We've yeah. on long enough. So, I'm going to introduce our guest now, Jay.
0: who, <laughs> Who is your daddy and what does he do?
2: His name is Shawnee O'Kane. He is an expert in domestic violence and an award-winning fatherhood specialist. I'm not quite sure what that means. So, Shawnee, sure can we'll you find out. explain that? I don't know what it means either.
4: <laughs> Still trying to work it all
2: out. <laughs> I was, uh, I, um, hello.
4: Hello. Brother. Hello. Hi, hey, you yeah, we should start with hello. Thank you for yeah, joining cheers us. for coming on. I'm not scram, no bother. Yeah. Um, am I okay to start now? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I interrupted you, but you... No, 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 to... I wanted you to... Well, you wanted I was also going
2: to gonna say that your, your other claim to fame is that you are a father, That's as funny. all of our guests so far have been. Yeah. yeah. Yes,
4: it's true. True story.
3: And also, like, I don't know, is it, is it a claim to fame that you mm. were uh, ex-contestant on Big Brother? That's a kind to of fame, right?
4: In some ways, it's, yeah, it wouldn't be the, the top 10 best things I've ever done. <laughs> but it's. it's well, for a lot of people, it would be. But yeah, but it's definitely up there. Okay. Uh, so I have got various accolades to my name in, in relation to fatherhood. So that particular one was from a charity called Passionate Pink, who I received outstanding uh, contribution to fatherhood. And I think it was it wasn't just because of my own personal experiences of being a dad, but it was also because of the clients that I work with at the time trying to help them improve their own following skills and also helping them be reconnected back into their children's lives that have been taken away from them by the mothers or social services or lots of lots of different uh various issues as to why they'd been separated from their children. So I'd worked for extensively to ensure the children were reconnected back to their, into their dad's lives in some way. So I think it was a, uh, that, that particular award was personally because of, I guess my, I think they used a bit of my public profile with fatherhood and also the work I do because I specialize in, uh, in working with young dads and men and boys and fathers. How did you get into that work? that is a very good question I, I was on big brother as you know and um in what year was that that was oh a long time ago 2007 Was okay. when, oh, wow. it, when it was still when it was like, when had like, millions of millions of people watching yeah, yeah like back then and whilst on that show uh well i so i decided me and my well me and my dad's relationship wasn't great growing up or when i was growing up at least and um and uh and I always thought, "Oh, you know, I'd love to really piss him off in a really big way, <laughs> and so I decided to come out on Big Brother right. and not tell my dad in advance. I thought I'd really wind him up. <laughs> and um, uh, I think uh, I would wind
3: yeah a lot of people up yeah
4: well it did wind a lot of people up That's probably why I was kicked out in yeah. some ways oh you were kicked out yeah well I was I, I, I didn't win so um, I had on Big Broadway had the first gay I had the first gay kiss the week I was up for eviction and, oh, I, right, okay. and that rattled a lot of cages and particularly my dad's, because he mm. was like well he's not gay so I don't know why he's obviously doing this for <laughs> to, you know just to be controversial because that's the kind of thing he does right yeah. <laughs> And so i, I uh yeah, I watched I was on the show, my dad told uh my, my family were hounded. They had to leave their village in Ireland. It was so bad. Like they had reporters climbing in a kitchen window. Really? That Jesus. is how like it sounds ridiculous because you think Big Brother, but we're going back like 12 11 years or something. And when it was, it huge, was huge and it wasn't yeah, many Irish yeah, people ever
3: on Big Brother then So going back to you, you so were, saying about, back, yeah, you were saying about Yeah you were saying about I end up
4: in this work. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew I would come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> and um so uh whilst on the show um
3: you're saying about your dad and that you yeah, came out well, on the so show. So I came
4: out on the show, et cetera, et cetera, and my dad was, and I do we're being hounded by reporters. And um, uh, they asked, you know, can we have a you know, quote about, you know, your son having his first gay kiss on Big Brother? And my dad was like, well, he's not gay. And they're like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, he's totally not gay. He hasn't even told me. Because <laughs> uh, he'd be the first person you'd yeah, tell. Of course. Right? Yeah, And course. Uh, and uh, they were like, so... Uh, yeah, well, 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 oh my goodness! So he's deceived the whole of like Endemol and the, pub, the British public. I mean, I was like, oh, he just does these things for a laugh. <laughs> so literally, on the front page of the paper the next day was big. I still ha- remember the headline: "Big Brother Shawnee is a big fakey." Now, fake is not a word. I don't think so. No, is it a no. Word? No, it it's isn't. not an actual word, is it? I've never yeah, looked at it. That doesn't usually stop <laughs> Of course. <Right>. And, <laughs> and so it was like, like, so the message boards, I remember going back and reading like message boards. Oh my goodness, he faked his sexuality. Like all oh, these people, have, they're really like real-time discussions. They talked about it on Sunday morning TV shows on like one of those political television programs <laughs> about faking sexuality to progress or make it in the media
3: but you weren't faking it
4: no well yeah. no i wasn't f- i wasn't faking it. Like yeah, at yeah. that time i'd I come out as gay and i was uh you know and that's where i was in my life i, I wouldn't say i'm gay now mm. but that's where i was definitely then i mean uh and so uh and there's lots of guys that can vote for me um and so there's a so I me mean, i came out so then richard and judy decided to talk <laughs> talk about this so they had a big thing about you know uh you know, you know, faking your sexuality, and how can you prove? And Richard Madley was very involved in all this, and he's like, "How can you prove it? Do we, you know, how do, can you how can you test people and start They were all they they're having genuine <laughs> discussions, and then they would say, "Well, so why I'm don't partridge. why don't we?" You know, it's so <laughs> what, it's so ridiculous. And, I mean, uh, and so then they suggested, "Well, why don't we just uh, bring them on?" So wouldn't that be the most obvious thing? So then they brought. Brought me on, they said to bring on my dad because he was the one who said to the pair. <laughs> and my dad is so what's the best words to describe him? Simple, I would say, and uh and traditionally Irish is probably another way as described. And anyway, yeah, so they wanted to also, I guess, discuss you know me and my dad's relationship, and um because me and my dad never really uh, been that close. Although yeah. he was very f- physically available uh growing up, he just wasn't emotionally available in many ways, and so. And he became quite fascinated about this kind of father-son relationship, and um, uh, that my dad said, "You know, I really accept my son," Uh, and that was a big deal for my dad. They come on and say all this, and you know, and he was really supportive. And to go back to your question, he asked like last Thursday <laughs> how did I end up getting into this work <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh, I don't even
3: know what you do anymore uh, yeah,
4: so, what, what well well, well we were whilst, whilst on that show uh, after we did that show we got lots of letters from the public to send us it was lots of fathers and sons who'd sent us sent. I mean we were so overwhelmed in fact they were still getting letters weeks and weeks after we'd done, the, done that show and uh, and it was fathers who'd rewritten them to say that they're, they hadn't spoken to their sons or daughters for a long time because their sons daughters were gay and they watched the show and they it had changed their perspective and or mm-hmm. sons had uh had written in to say uh that you know um you've really helped me uh, you know understand why i haven't told my dad about my sexuality and and um and after watching your show i sat down with my dad and we watched the show together i mean the letters were and i just did not expect any of this it just was like the whole trajectory of of of, uh, you know where I was at that point so you you didn't really
2: know what you were going to like do with your life I suppose at that point well at that
4: point I was during that point I was writing for a a newspaper so I was actually writing for a newspaper in Ireland which is something I always wanted to do so um, and it was uh, a newspaper it was a broadsheet I was very familiar with in a media company and uh, so I was really enjoying it and um, so all these letters come in and I was just quite taken aback and I remember saying to my agent at the time I said Hey, I really want to, I, w- I really want to do more of this. Mm. I really want to do something around fatherhood and and, and dads and, and kids. And um, he was like, okay, he goes, and he was trying to, I think in his head, he was trying to work out, how he can continue to make money out of me as my agent, <laughs> whilst let me pursue some kind of avenue around fatherhood, even though this guy has no kids himself, and and he was just trying to work it all out. And and then, in my kind of curious state at that time, I started researching about companies that work with and fathers and, and kids and stuff. And it just it was 2008, and it just wasn't any. It just it was such an it. Was like, it seems ludicrous now, but it was like an alien concept in 2008, the mm. uh, hung about fatherhood and, and dads. But I found an NGO in London who worked, specialized with young dads. And uh, not only did I find this information out, but also they were looking to bring on uh, someone or an ambassador to speak up about the relationship between dads and their kids. And I was like, I want to. I want to be part of this organization. I want to meet this organization. And my agent was like, "Oh, so you want to like maybe do a talk for them and <laughs> raise their profile?" I was like, "No, no. I want to stop doing what I'm doing and I want to do this kind of work." He was like, "You're insane." <laughs> I said, "No, I'm not. I'm saying I'm being completely serious. I'm really passionate about this." He goes, "You don't have any fucking children." I go, "I don't care. It's not the point." And I go, "You just don't get it." Yeah. And that was the thing he just didn't get. It. And so. Uh, I contacted this organization and they were very, every single person in the organization was very aware of who I was because. What was the organization called? Called St. Michael's Fellowship. Okay. So um, I, uh, I applied for the role there. And so uh, I met the organization and they, I interviewed, and they were just could not believe that this someone that they'd been watching on television had been like, it was on the papers and stuff, they just come for an interview for this organization. And, uh, and I got it and I was, uh, and I was there for eight years and completely, uh, and I started doing work with fathers before it was a real th- like thing Like yeah, I, yeah. I was g- literally given a blank canvas saying, you know, this is the only organization, this is actually the only organization, the main organization in the whole of the country at that time that was doing work with dads and young dad so I specialized that's crazy really yeah, isn't it I specialized yeah. in dads between age 14 to 25 so that was my that was where I spent eight eight nine years actually developing the fatherhood work there
2: and so and what kind of work did you sort of do on a sort of daily basis
4: um so I would well I would I would, I would uh, have cases referred to me. Right. So I would come in the morning I would get a, a referral would come in from the police or social services or it be a self referral and it'd be a particular dad, expectant dad, maybe a certain age. And and then what I, my my role was to connect with that person yep. to uh well, basi- be like a
3: father like a father figure well, or well, like kind well, of like-
4: basically ensure that a kind of a different I'd encompassing a lot of different things practitioner uh mentor and you know we weren't a place we weren't social services but i was uh, kind of but I, I know i did a lot of work around um child attachment child development my master's was it was in um child and family into professional psychology practice so i did a lot so i knew a lot of things around. And had you do,
3: did you do this before so my,
4: no so my my master's i did it during whilst i was working right so i did my while what i was working for the organization uh and prior to my master's i was I just was very uh, i did a lot of training around attachment and child protection and and um uh and so i was quite I'm quite good at uh, really connecting with the clients early on in a way whereby where they've had lots of distrust towards services and practitioners.
2: I was going to ask you if there's a, if there's like a, like one example that really sort of sticks with you that, that you really
4: so many like I've really seen like every, any kind of present issue affecting a dad like when it when it comes to parenting. I've I've literally been right knee deep in it. I, I've experienced many issues regarding paternal discrepancy or misattributed paternity. I don't know if you know. What's that now? now? Um, There'll be times I'd be working with a client and he, okay, I'll t- one, one client I'll talk. Uh, I was working with a client who was 19 years of age. He was at university in uh, Bedford and um, I was working with him to prepare him for, for fatherhood. He was, he was making certain life choices and he didn't, he was scared shitless, couldn't tell his parents and, you know, uh, so it, was this um, a situation where he was at university? The situation he was in and he, and I, and my colleagues were working with the mother or working with the mum, and I'm working with a dad or at least one of my colleagues are and I'm working with him to try and help him get his life in order in preparation for being a dad so that, you know, when this baby comes you know, you feel ready and engaged. Bear so them. it's not
3: so sorry. So it's not just you know, dad to like you know people who are already dads and have trouble seeing their kids or anything like that. It's all it was all manner of.
4: Oh yeah, it's course, It's everything. Mm. It could be a dad might call me up because he doesn't understand why breastfeeding's important. Right. Okay. So or, this
2: particular person like self-refer. So
4: not this particular person came through because we were working with the mother. Right. Okay. And so that happens a lot. We'd work with the mums and they would say. Uh, like you'd you'd go into work every day and it would kinda of be like you know, on you could almost have like you hear the theme music, you'd walk in, it'd be like you'd get the referral and you say, <laughs> right, who's who's the dad? Who's the, you get the profile and you know, and I'm assigned to him and I'm gonna like I want to make sure he's the best dad I can I can possibly be, and that's my role. And you know, and what would I, your
3: theme, theme music sound like?
4: Oh goodness, it would be uh, oh, it would probably something really like the Benny Hill or something really clear, something. You know, was so jolly and happy. Like I was like, you know, I just love doing that. I love the work. And uh, so sorry,
3: yeah, you were talking about this this guy that you were. You were, this and, so this guy, you
4: were. and so yeah, and so you know. Go, go back to the uh, question is, you know, but one story that really, really um, I recall that really stayed with me was you know, this guy was 19 and he uh, wanted uh, some support around being a dad and we're working with a mum and that's all good and he's making some really big life changes such as dropping out of university and his parents had wanted him to go to university this particular university and they we're so proud of him, he was the first, first person in the family to ever go to uni and you know, as he's dropping out, and I, it's a big deal, but he's so committed that they want him to be. A dad to this kid. And whilst I'm working with him, I get, you know, my, one of my, my colleagues says, hey, Sean, you know, can I have a word with you? I go, yeah, of course. And she goes, yeah, the mom has made a disclosure that he's not the real dad. Oh. And I was like, right. And I go, are we sure? She goes, yes. So, and I've experienced... Since that was this is the first time, but I've experienced that on numerous occasions. And that's afterwards. parental
3: discrepancy.
4: Yeah, and that's right. called parental discrepancy. Right. Mis- misattributed paternity is another word for it. And um, so I, I said, okay, we need to we need to let's let's meet up and let's discuss what how we move forward here. So we discuss various options, and the you know. I, I had all these ethical dilemmas. Being a, At that point, I was a dad already. So I, I became a dad in 2009.
3: Yeah, we should talk about that.
4: Let's talk we'll about talk, this afterwards. We'll talk about that just, after. Yeah. yeah. So I was already a dad. So I, I already had the kind of fatherhood stuff going on and being a man. And, and not only that, knowing that, wow, this I'm helping this guy make all these life decisions. I'm you know, basically an accomplice, <laughs> and and you know the trajectory of his life. But also, not only that, there's another person out there that is the father, yeah, and that's and he's being denied. And so I all these internal issues, and and you know, we had decided that the best approach would be to encourage the, the expectant mom to tell him mm. that is the best approach because you know, you know, we we can, we we I couldn't play God in that instance. I also know that. When you know you're becoming a dad, and for many of my clients at least, it's the one instigating factor or a catalyst for change. Yeah. And that, you know, many dads will stop smoking because they're about to become a dad or they'll drink less or they'll want to get fit or or something about an element of their their, their personal life or that they want to change because they're becoming a dad. And that um, maybe this experience this young man who believed he was an expectant dad might have known that he wasn't the actual dad. Mm. And he, for all I know, might've just wanted to be a dad. It might've given him a sense of purpose. It might've given him a real responsibility. But then there's other aspects of fatherhood I know that exists, and we forget what that, what that's like. That This person's, this 15-year-old kid's ex- experience of being a dad, like me, universally, we've got this concept that you know of what fatherhood is and we're both dads but your life as a dad is so different to mine and and um and and then you think well well, because it's so different and it's might it's it, it's less enriched how does that impact upon the way you you parent your child and and um and, and out of all the you know out of all the fathers that i've ever worked with her, uh professionally you know, despite the issues that are presented to me, whether it could be the domestic violence or, or, or uh, uh, gang crime or, um, you know, substance use. So one thing that's very apparent is that, you know, all these men really love their children. You know, my master's study was looking at how maternity services engage um, young expectant men to ensure that they're better uh, involved fathers. And, across the board with middle with free staff and, and social workers and uh, particularly then uh, when i was doing that work uh, there was this mostly with local authorities there was this kind of census that you know particularly with the child protection cases that dads uh, were very much the, you know the you know the, the children on the child protection cases because of the dad's behavior and harm And uh, and in many cases, dads are often seen as a problem and, you know, and therefore they're not included in child protection meetings for whatever reason. But I really believe that if you work with dads, despite what the issues are, they can be the solution. If you really give them the tools and you listen to them and find it, well, why do you think he is behaving in this way? It's it's okay. You can label him as being a monster or being whatever. But actually, let's try and instead of instead of you know constantly um, uh, labeling him as 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 the issue and the problem, let's focus on that and see what can we do to ensure that he gets the right support and mechanisms so that he stops harming his partner in a way that is. I don't know what your experiences are, probably very different to say a young 17-year-old black guy in Brixton whenever I they imagine so, when I yeah. turn up at a children's center and they're asked, you know, are they lost or you know, oh well, where's where's mum or yeah. you know, um, you know dads who don't have their kids Maybe that weekend, but when I go to a children's centre to check it out for the time they do have their kids, and they turn up and they don't have a kid, and it's like, "Whoa, this is all really shady." Why is this guy turning up and he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a kid? And like, you know the way that the stereotypes of young dads when they like, you know, I I remember dads, you know, I've worked with, you know, they were they were so afraid of pushing a buggy, it Why? was because they'd never ever pushed a buggy before, and right. they're suddenly gone from you know. Being on road in Brixton to now pushing buggies, you know, going so from being the no boys. Of being seen by- yeah, all of this, you know. I I I did a campaign a number of years ago uh, called the Hundred Dads Walk, and we got the idea was to um, represent dads walking into their children's lives as opposed to walking away from them. So we got uh, you know a hundred dads with buggies, and, and we did it outside the uh, Brixton Library. We did it for three years in a row, and uh, uh, and it was just a really it's real powerful message that you know dad's becoming and push bogey it's fine it's cool it's yeah, fine right. you know and but like it's but it sounds ludicrous but when you are that age and you're a kid becoming a a, a parent and you're where well, your dad isn't around and you suddenly have to take on this whole responsibility of being a, a, a dad
2: i can't really like comprehend how difficult it it must be if you're like basically a child yourself and mm. you have to mm. be a a parent too, mm.
4: but that's and that's why I tell people all the time, and my, my friends and stuff. You know, we talk, they talk about fatherhood all the time. And I said, well, yeah, it's great, isn't it? But imagine if you were like, imagine if you were fifteen, imagine if you were seventeen, imagine you'd just come out of prison, imagine if you were in prison.
2: Okay, that's the end of part one. More after this.
0: and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us Call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.
3: So tell us a little bit of your setup okay. of your of your, your family isn't exactly the most sort of traditional yeah, nuclear be family. Some people it?
4: probably will have had every kind of word on the sun, but unorthodox is a word that we had. Uh, yeah. Okay. So where I'm at now is, uh, I, so I've since come out of a three year relationship with my ex partner and she was Egyptian Arab. So I've, I was with her for three years. And, um, so that's where come back the sexuality thing. So I'd kind of fluctuated in and out, shake it all about. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was with her for, for three years and we, we've recently broke up and, um, uh, so it gets very confused when people see it's you know so see pictures of us and they assume that she's a mother of my child. Right. And she's Egyptian. And my son's black, as Zimbabwean, half Irish. So we can imagine, like, in fact, actually, every time we're in public and, like, we see another white man with a black child, it's like a big deal. My son, like, loses his shit. He's like, <laughs> oh, my God, look, there's another one, Dad. So do you want to know how this all happened. Definitely. How uh, how strong are your stomachs?
3: Yeah, I'm on a full stomach, so I think I'm okay. Okay, it's fine. I'm all right, I'm all
2: right. I'll take it.
4: So um, a number of years ago, pre-Big Brawler, pre-coming out, I was sitting with my then-girlfriend watching the TV. I was very young, my early 20s. And there was a show on about people who couldn't have children of their own. And I am very sensitive to, I would say, women's pain. It's probably the best way to describe it. And, and uh, you know, there's lots of testimonies on the show, BBC program, about heterosexual women and heterosexual couples and single women and lesbians. And basically, it was all these people who just wanted to be parents, and they couldn't be for lots of different mm. reasons. And I was really taken aback. And I was like, wow. And I had my Messiah moment like i could give someone the gift of life <laughs> let me help them and that sh- and i was like oh my at the end of the show it said you can um you know put yourself forward to be considered the first sperm donor or a co-parent and i said to my girlfriend this is amazing i can do this and She was like no you're bar this is not amazing <laughs> you're a kid no one's going to want a kid so how old were you for- at the time i was oh it was tw- 2006 so it would have been about 25 24 and so i uh said no no it's great and i really and sometimes when i get in my head i'm going to do something i really want to do it and that was a friday night and the next day i put up a profile and uh i put up lots of really suspect pictures <laughs> like you know me outside next to like like, like a flowery field and just really silly pictures and all. And I look very whimsical and magical and, <laughs> you know, and and so I imagine that, you know, anyone seen it was like, oh, God. No. He looks
3: like a laugh. Looks,
4: uh, Definitely
3: <laughs> you know, dad material. Like,
4: so it was, it was a complete opposite of dad material in, in every, every way, shape and form. And and I, what I didn't realise is that this show went out online. So on a Tuesday when I went to check my emails, there was... Just so many responses, and uh, there was a woman, a woman from Canada, right? Had, had had actually offered to come over to Canada and try to make a baby. And I was thinking, how short is uh, is the sperm supply in Canada? It's bizarre, <laughs> and it was completely. I was, I was a bit overwhelmed by it all, and but one of the the the, the email responses that I seen and was from a Zimbabwean lesbian couple. Uh, And one was a nurse, and one was a sign language teacher, and I really... Like those qualities. It seemed very humanistic and lovely. And I just really, really liked these two. And they just really stood out. And we spoke for a little bit back and forth. Back were and they, were forth. they living
3: in Zimbabwe? They at the were, time?
4: No, no. They were, that's a, I was say. a lot of people asked. Sorry, I should make it clear. They were living in uh, in Essex. Okay, so very different. <laughs> so well, yeah, A lot of people always assume that. And so they said, listen, yeah, it's great you're in London now. Why don't we have a test? Why don't we have a practice go? And I was like, okay I'd, I'd literally been in the country for like a couple of weeks uh, and that's not true it's probably a couple of months I would say and I said hey listen okay let's do it what does that involve I mean and I was thinking like do I sleep with both of them <laughs> do I sleep with one and the other one watches <laughs> like do I like like have to do f- I buy them dinner first th- 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 yeah, works like do I like, f- f- freeze my sperm and give and ice cubes and give one to her and one to her. And I don't know what I was like, you know, they were really vague about like logistics. And um, I just like, I was, my heart was saying, oh, you have to help these women. Uh, and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And they said, they go, and, and they said 80% of the time, it's not going to work. In my head, I heard that we have to do it at least 80 times <laughs> before it will work that, that was, was your logic that was that's what i heard it's like oh, i was fine so even if it doesn't work the first time then and we don't get on then like looking back now we should have at least met up and chilled out and did all their <laughs> stuff played crazy golf <laughs> for a drink or something. yeah or, you know and um you know and uh, you know there was no and people say you know but was there any legal agreement or did you you know did you were you not clear but what it was you wanted and and i said well you know know the song all oh, that You wants is another baby what was that, that is them that's ace all they, yep yep they were the the bad ace of bass and that was they 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 really had their sights set <laughs> on having this you know this, this this child and and i was just like yeah let's just do it and sure you know i'll be involved and and they were like oh well we'll talk about it later on and all that it was all quite like vague and you know and they said we're going to come round and uh, we're going to just do this practice go and we'll see how it goes. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And they said, yeah, could you just have everything ready for us? I think like, yeah, that's fine. That's not a problem. That's easy. Uh, and I go right, okay. And so it was a fr- I'll never forget. It was a Friday evening in October. And yeah, I was waiting for them to come round. And I lived with a guy called Ursino, who was a sommelier at the time at Hackasan. He's a really cool guy. And he wasn't around, it was just, I was in the house myself. And, and I, uh, well, I can't really romanticize this, but I shot into, um, a polystyrene cup. And, um, I, uh, was really pleased with myself. And uh, I was like, yeah, they're really going to love this. Uh, I was like, should I wrap it up? I don't know. Like, what do you do? What do do? <laughs> what do, do? Like a gift tag. And uh, and then whilst it was in the cup, they said, oh, we're caught in traffic. We're going to be late. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I wish I could had a camera watching me at that time. Because in my state, I started to panic because I assumed that when the sperm gets exposed to air it starts to die so i so i turned the oven on on a low heat <laughs> and i put it in the oven because i assu- i assume the fridge no because it, my balls are warm so why <laughs> why would i my friends i said why didn't you put it in the freezer But like, because it's just come from a warm place why would i want unless I was like <laughs> you know like a snow monster or something i mean why would i want to put it in the freezer mix and also it's quite unhygienic
3: Right. Oh, so so That's the, the oven. It's sterile. And,
4: <laughs> and so I uh, I put it in the oven on a low heat, and it was in there for about 30 to 40 minutes. And when <laughs> when they, <laughs> when it <they> came round, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I just I just it was like another person now. When I look at me then, no, it's just like two different people. And um, when I pulled it, out, it all kind of decrepit. It was all crumpled <laughs> up, but the sperm was like intact, and it was still moving around and and they were t- just happy because they just wanted sperm you know so they were like yeah it's great give us all sperm give us all your sperm <laughs> uh, and then they, I was like okay so I like turn one of you upside down and pour it in how does it work <laughs> uh, like I, this, we're really clear and there was nothing really on like got, you
2: pff- can't really pff- Google, Google that back, can, can you turkey baster, is yeah, that well,
4: yeah well they'd bought a home insemination kit and because um, ah, uh, they'd come prepared yeah of course because it's all that they want <laughs> is another baby so they knew exactly what they wanted, and so they were like, Okay, so where's your room? And I was like, It's in here and I was like I mean what That? I, I do I like do I watch? Do I have to instruct? And they're like, Oh no, no, you can just wait outside. And I was like, Okay, sure. And they're like, Yeah and I go, Okay. So they went into the room. I didn't even know which one of them was like gonna I thought maybe they were gonna half it. She was gonna have him. <laughs> she was gonna have half they weren't really weren't really I hadn't really talked it over. And so, um, and then, so I just waited, and they came out of my room like half an hour later, and they were like, "Okay, well, thank you." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." They're like, "Okay, well, see you later." You don't want to stay for some like no, there's not. They didn't want. didn't want that. I had elderflower champagne and all that. and they were not, they didn't want anything. So they left, and then I was, it, so I was like, "Okay, so I have, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out with the boys tonight." So I went out with all the lads, and we were all drinking all night, and they were like, "Give me loads of stick," <laughs> and uh, and it was we be right. I was getting hammered. And I get a text message from the who would then be the non biological mum, and she said, "Hey, you know, thank you for your sperm today. Um, I never got that text ever before. I got it that <laughs> night I've never got it since." And she's like, oh, you know, it was really kind of you. And I was like, oh, thanks. I I think every,
3: sorry, I think every, like, one night stand should finish with that text. Thank you for your sperm sperm today.
4: today. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, you know, but did you know that, you know, or cyrofoam kills sperm? And I'd be like, well, no, I fucking didn't go to sperm school. How would I know that? But you're saying the oven doesn't. And she she said, you know, we've just read up on it, and uh, we'll come around tomorrow for some more. And I was like, oh, well, like when tomorrow? It's like early. It's like fuck. Okay, I said, boys. You've had a few drinks, basically. i have yeah. to go. I have to go because the lesbians are coming for sperm tomorrow. <laughs> the lesbians are coming. And they come back and they're for, taking my sperm. my sperm. And they were like, and, then, and so I was like, I have to go. I have to go. I can't stay any longer. And so my mates were like, okay, go home, piss off. So went home, went to bed. woke up the next day, and. My housemate at the time had broken up with his girlfriend that week. So he was already in a really pissed off mood and he was out playing football and the Saturday morning it was lashing the rain. And you know you've all been in a situation before where you're trying to have a wank and you can't and you're sl- and it's not getting up for whatever reason and you're you're <laughs> you're, slap- a you're, you're, sl- <laughs> you're slapping it about or you know, any kind of sex activity and it's just like well I was really under pressure and just w- just could not rise to the occasion. And like, you know, how many times have you had a group of lesbians come around to your house for your sperm? And you had all the time on for one? me, any
2: couple of times, yeah, no, yeah. it happens all the time. I can't keep so it I, away. I was,
4: re- I was really under pressure and um, I just could not give it up. And I was like slapping it and talking to it, and I played like power ballads, okay, <laughs> and, like nothing was working, Serving so <laughs> <The elderflower laughs> <fantastic. laughs> so none of it. And so, I think it was must have just been really hungover. And so, I um, I was really panicking, and the panicking was making it worse. And I was like, "Oh my god, they're not going to want—they have a kid with someone who can't even get it up." <laughs> so, um, uh, and during this madness, my housemate Ursino comes home, completely drenched, covered in mud. He's—I uh, don't know if he'll ever hear this story. He will kill me for this, but um, he's covered in mud, and he's like, "I'm like, are you okay?" He goes, are "You okay?" And I go, oh, "Yeah, but." The, uh, the, African lesbians are coming around and they want my sperm and I can't get it up and i just really distressed. And he goes, oh my goodness. I go, I go, I go, I go are you okay? He goes, "Well, oh, we lost? I go, oh, it sounds awful. He goes, is there anything I can do to help? And I said, well, I go, it's going to sound really silly but could you like, give me some sperm? <laughs> Because like this is just a practice go, and it's not gonna like not gonna get pregnant. So like it's just a practice go, and that's gonna be really like humiliating if they come around. I can't even give money. And he was like, "Of course, that's fine. It's not a problem." I said, "Well, but don't put it in the polystyrene cup because that kill sperm." <laughs> 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 and so I give him cut off the bottom of a plastic bottle. He had one, and I had one. I then in my room and tried to calm down and uh, read Reader's Digest. Or Tatler magazine or something. <laughs> I just kind of take t- t- my mind off it. And by the time we come around, I was able to perform. It was all right. It was all good. Everything was fine. And they came to the house, and I give them my man juice. And but it was your that was
3: it was your. Oh yeah yeah. Okay. yeah yeah, it was Thank mine. God.
4: But as I did that, he came out of his room with his sperm, <laughs> and he gave his sperm to them, and I give them mine. And they were like, "Oh, thanks." And he was like, right, well, I'm out. So see you later on. <laughs> I was like, all right, bro, see you later on. And, uh, and then he went down to my room. And this is, I swear to God, this is a true story. Everything I'm telling you in this is absolutely true. And I remember every single second of it. I remember what I was wearing. I remember what they were wearing. And they came out again half an hour later. And they're like, okay, well, thank you. And see you later. And I was like, okay, bye. And that was it. And then they left. And I was like, okay, well, I've decided I don't want to do this again. (laughs) Um, I'm glad we had the practice sessions, but this isn't really for me. And it was all good. And I didn't hear from them until 14 days later, 14 days, 14, to tell me that they were pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, that is great. Who is the dad? (laughs) Because it can't be me. Because, like, does it not take, like, a couple of months or something. I was just, you know, it was like, not 14 days. It seems like, a, I felt was like a month at least. And, and I was like, okay. And she was like, yeah, we're really excited. And this is great news. And I was in my head, I'd already prepared for myself. Well, we're never ever going to have a kid together because it just isn't, it's not not going to work. And so I went back and I didn't know how to, I was so taken aback. I didn't know like how to approach. The conversation about, well, well who's, who's, what, what? And so me, I told my friend, and he just lost his shit. And he was, <laughs> and for like days and days, me and him were like, like he he was a state he couldn't do his work properly we were trying to work out like what if it comes out with like your chin and my like hands or (laughs) like your feet like my hair and we've got like this the hybrid child of both he's venezuelan with a square jaw (laughs) and i was like what's it going to look like and he was obviously we didn't pay attention to biology at school anyway so these days went on and all this and i just had to say like it's not you know do you know that whenever i give you like, when you took my friend's sperm they're like oh about that it's like i was so nice of him but we threw it in the bin <laughs> so i could have just that was we had remember days of torture i'll never forget that, that was really distressing that well, was well that powerful. would have
3: been that would have been a, one of your more uncommon parental discrepancy <laughs> know, <right>? cases <laughs> wouldn't course, it? of course yeah.
4: <laughs> yes it was a very very unorthodox it was it parental a discrepancy yeah. <laughs> and uh you know so you know, I'm not going to bore you so much with the complexities of of uh, my role as a father during the pregnancy because it was all. It's, I'd say being a dad has definitely been the most difficult thing I've ever ever had to endure. Maybe I'll change that. Being a father in the way that I um, my journey has has led itself is, uh, that has been very difficult, and I think it's because me and the moms are so different in many ways, yeah. and uh, we didn't really know each other and uh there's been times where it's been really really challenging where you know we've considered going down a legal route and and despite all of that we always seem to get fruit and um you know the reality is is that they wanted a child f- rightly so for themselves to parent and for me to send a card on the child's 18th birthday for example and and i was just like well no i kind of want to be involved, and. Uh, you know, in some capacity, and they were like, "Well, that's not what we. It's not our intention." I go, "Well, we weren't really clear." And, and yeah, I, you and think I, that would be something that you yeah, can talk about? Yeah, you know, lots of stuff. Right? A lot. Yeah, there was, and I, yeah, there was. Uh, you know what? In hindsight, yes, lots of things would be different. And I, and you know, I, I stopped now. I've had these my own mental health stop thinking about those things a long long time ago you know and uh, so during the pregnancy I remember um they'd moved they moved up to uh, the back hours of nowhere in a in Mottram in Manchester and i um, an hour away from Manchester and I I felt they'd move because they didn't want me to be around and they mm-hmm. were you know heterosexual couples don't have to take on a third parent so why do you yeah. couple but because of the laws of science um, you know, it takes a, a meal to make a child. And so, uh, and I'm a big advocate in having a, a dad around. And so I just felt like, wow, they have had a child with the wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> they have, they've had a child with a man who, works to get fathers yeah, involved. Sure. They, they, they've really drawn the short straw here that whole mythical fantasy of the irish leprechaun thing that they ordered has completely gone out the window now because they just didn't realize that they who they were having a child with and i think they were naive in that part and and so you know when they moved away and they, they wouldn't communicate so much and they did tell me about the scans that was happening and you know, and one of them let slip of when it was happening. And I turned up. I turned up. I went up to the scan on that day, and they nearly dropped dead. I was there, and they were like, "Oh my goodness, it's so much easier to get rid of genital warts." And this guy, he's just like, <laughs> he just keeps just every he just you know, he just, he, just, he just won't leave us alone. You know, my my sons have you no. Know, he's black and he's Irish and you know i actually have two moms as well so uh my i've got a non biological mom who's uh native Tonian and her husband is indian and they've got three kids so you are like my brothers and sisters they're indian muslim half black and so and my my brother's married the japanese girl so my son is my you can imagine my son is is got this whole like wealth of culture and and ethnic backgrounds and he travels the world a lot because we're all we all L- love in different places and and so he is totally worldly and unfazed and just so like progressive for his age and mm-hmm. and he just totally gets it he doesn't misbehave very much i must say he's a very good kid and everyone who's ever met my son will always say the same thing oh, he's very polite that's the one where oh, they go he's so polite you know, guys he—he—you he, know—he's—he always—he asks me if I'm okay, or how's my day, and blah, blah blah. We get off the bus, he'll always thank the bus driver. <laughs> right? He's that kind of kid, right?
3: Does he get that from you? Uh,
4: probably but I don't because I'm not aware of myself sometimes I'm like oh wow it's just you know I love the way he's like that because I always think he's totally not like me in many ways in fact I actually sometimes like you know we are how are you my son we are not alike and Maybe not it ways was we're my not like. mates. <laughs> yeah I mean, it was no but if you see my son he's exactly <laughs> he's like a black version of me it's just it's scary and so you know he's you know when he's really badly behaved I'll say to him you know excuse me koozie my son's called Kuziva Aiden. Uh, that's the thing when Irish people have kids with Africans. You don't warn you in advance, but they have a million names, and he's got so many names. He has a separate page on his passport for his names. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like Kuziva Aiden, blah blah, Ladysmith Black Mambazo. I don't know all these big long names. And so I said, "You know, Kuziva, excuse me, son. I go, Where did you used to live?" And then he would roll his eyes and say, "Oh." In your balls. <laughs> and I'll say, exactly. Do you want to go back in there? And he's like, no. I'm like, right, okay, we stop it. And that's the one <laughs> I always get him to like, because no one wants to go back into their dad's right. balls.
3: And what, and what is it? Do you see him? Is it like a weekend thing? Do you see him like every so weekend?
4: So I, um, I get him every other weekend. Uh, in fact, I can get him this weekend. But I also get him, it's supposed to be every other weekend. Sometimes it's free weekends. Sometimes it's one weekend. Um, I had him for three weeks over the summer. I'm going to get him for two weeks in October for half term. I don't get him for Christmas this year because his mom's having... Listen, no one will ever know, unless they actually do it, but uh, no one that I've ever, I've, I've ever spoken to for all the years of being dad, what it's like to parent a child halfway across the country. And I've been doing that for almost nine years because I've been running up every other weekend since the pregnancy, almost during that period. And that has really like impacted upon my mental health in so many ways. Like I have no consistency because like the times I'd, when I was working for a company, I'd left it. My holidays would always be, I'd take off Fridays to go up to see my son. So I'd never have any holidays because it would be all like the amount of money I've given Richard Branson just to be in the same room as my son is insane. Like I can't even properly save for him because I'm constantly spending money on travel just to be, just to see him. It is nuts
3: and they're still putting out they're still putting the prices up even hats though they can't richard you know I mean? branson's listening to this he could refund you some of that money <laughs> maybe he <laughs> yeah. should give you a loyalty card or yeah, something yeah pro-
4: pro- probably well i i mean it's it's just, uh, uh, Mate, like,
3: well, hat, i mean hats off to you that's i mean that's dedication and yeah and it's laugh, it's, you know it's I mean?
4: really it's so hard i tried to work out all the hours i've spent literally just traveling to see my son over the past like eight years and like you know how much time like I could have been spent actually with him.
3: We've talked about what you used to do, you know, um, where you used to work and uh, at the St. Michael's Fellowship. But tell us about what you started, your own practice called Think Fathers.
2: Yeah.
4: So um, I found that during my time at St. Michael's, a specialist uh, fatherhood practitioner there, uh, that I was working more and more with, DV cases, but they're, they're just DV domestic cases, domestic violence. violence. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, there just wasn't uh like many perpetrator programs that existed, particularly in Lambeth. There just wasn't many programs to help rehabilitate the men. So, and what usually happened, I found, is that like local authorities would kind of again come back to the point I made earlier, about men perpetrators and men being the problem that they would just kind of fall to the wayside or they'll end up in the criminal justice system and that and that'll be that that's, that's sorted but it's it's not sorted and the problem never and that doesn't rehabilitate them and then it's this vicious cycle and what I tried to do in my work was you know end that cycle I worked with some uh, fathers who were first second third generation of not never working uh, or had been in, fathers had been in prison. Or whatever. And my aim was to break that cycle. I wanted to stop that in its paths. I want to everything I could to make sure that they were given the right skills and resources and tools to have a different life. And so I, one of the reasons why I started, I started Think Fathers was purely because I felt there was a gap whereby um, the perpetrator programs that, that not many existed and the ones that did very much worked with men in groups. And I found from my experience, when you work with a person in a group environment, particularly when it's about really sensitive issues like domestic violence, um, they're less likely to open up about what they've done because of shame and guilt and and lots of different reasons. And and I'm quite skilled at working in a very very therapeutic way with individuals in a one-to-one environment. And so... Think fathers has the various elements. You know the, the the essentially it's think fathers, think men, think boys, and it's really given men and voice, men boys fathers voices, and and giving them abilities to change behaviours if needed, and also they celebrate being a man and being a boy and being a father and all the good things that comes with that. Uh, and, and how that really uh, impacts positively upon uh, their children's lives and, 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 uh, and partners and families. Uh, and also I work in partnership with local authorities and, and the, the partners, to see if they've noticed that the changes are happening.
2: How, how sort of successful is that, do you find?
4: Well, I have 100% success rate so far with the clients I've worked with.
2: What do you deem what do you
4: deem as a success? Uh when they do not continue to reoffend really for using harmful behaviour.
2: I just sort of um I I don't expect that anyone who listens to this will have this opinion, but I know that there are probably people out there who you know, just playing devil's advocate who who might say, you know, like why spend time like sort of rehabilitating these people? Like do they do they really deserve it? But it sounds like you know, it's more, it's well, largely about like the the kids really, and, like, yeah. Making sure that-
4: yeah, I mean that's a it's interesting point. I mean, I, I I think I said something earlier about that with all the dads I work with that I can recall the one thing that they have in common is that they love their children, and so uh, when I put, it's very and it, sometimes it's very difficult initially for the dads to grasp why you know. Why they're in the wrong or accepting responsibility for their actions and 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 but what I do is I really put the children at the forefront of all their decision making and actually that they feel the impact of the harm, even if it's not directed at them, it's directed at the mum and when I make them understand that if you shout at the mother or the partner. Uh, you know, in an evening time when they're in bed and they can't hear it or when, even when they're not around. It's getting them to understand that how her behavior has been altered or affected and how that impacts upon her parenting, whereby the children are actually being neglected because of his harm mm. and getting them to see that actually I love my child and I didn't realize I'm hurting my child by my behavior getting them to grasp that because they love their children they don't want to harm their children and the, the penny drops that's when we move into a different we the 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 therapy kind of moves into a different area The even when a father has been a perpetrator or has harmed the partner but is willing to change i still think he's a really positive factor on that child's life yeah. i think once it you know uh from my experience of removing the dad and child in any way is uh, it's as damaging right as Domestic violence as itself within a relationship. So
2: Jamie, I noticed you've got a few boxes over there yeah. besides you. Yeah. Um brightly coloured packaging. It's yes. quite interesting. And there's some like egg shaped thing. Yeah. Like so, what what can you explain what you feel? Well this is this is um this is dad tech.
3: Okay, so here we have two things. I'll start with the egg-shaped thing that you you spoke of. This is the Grow Egg, uh, the Grow Egg 2 by the Grow Company. Right. Um, have you seen one of these before? I haven't. So basically, I've got it here, as you can see. Yeah. And at the moment, it's uh, growing red. And basically what it is, it's a thermometer and a nightlight, which goes in your child's room. And um, what the Grow Company have done in conjunction with the Lullaby Trust, which is a... Um, uh, a Safer Sleep for Babies charity. It researches uh, the prevention of SIDS, which is... Um, oh, hang on. Sudden, sudden death.
4: death syndrome. There you go. Cops,
3: yes. <laughs> yeah, and basically what it does, it, it uh, tells you, you see the readout here on the egg. It's quite a nice design. It's saying it's 27 degrees in here at the moment and it's glowing red. Now, if it got cooler, it would drop down to um, an orange light and then further past that if it got to sort of 20 degrees it would go to yellow and if it got to 16 degrees below 60 degrees it would go blue and basically the idea is that you can have a quick look into your child's bedroom or your baby's bedroom and with just one look see if it's too hot or if it's about the right temperature for right, your baby I or see. too cold yeah, so blue would be say, too cold i know
2: if i'm hot as balls
3: yeah exactly so for but, you right you know a baby doesn't know sure and you don't know necessarily if you're putting the right clothing on your baby yeah. like the right tog you know uh grow bag which is by the same company the grow bag the original grow bag by the same company
4: i mean how did cavemen survive i know right that's how did did they get through parenting well this is what my this is what my
3: fiance (laughs) nat always says she's always like there are tribes in the amazon (laughs) who have not met like other human civilizations and and their babies are fine." fine But still, come on, look, we we have the technology, we might as well use course, it.
4: Right? I, I'm, I'm all for it. I really, I know the by Trust. I know some people working a lot by trust.
3: Uh, so they're working with the grow company yeah, to I, kind of produce these products. Yeah. And I think it's really good. Anyway, this sells for uh, 29.99 in all your major retailers. Um, and I'll move on to the second thing by the grow company as well. This is the grow clock. This is spelt G-R-O. They're both G-R-O without a W. And this basically is to help sleep train, well, I guess sleep train your kids. You set it and there's no time on it. Right. There's no sort of actual That's digital cool. clock on it. There can be, but you can turn it off. And basically you set the time you want your kids to wake up, whether okay. from a nap or from a sleep. And the sun that's on the display, the yellow sun on the display, will turn blue into a blue nighttime star. And it'll be surrounded by lots of uh, little stars. And through the time that you've you know, set, say you set it for like 7.30 in the morning, right. and that's the time you want your child to wake up yep. uh, for school or whatever, um, the stars will start disappearing. Mm. And then your child will know that when the last star disappears... Mm that's time to wake up and the blue star will now turn into yellow sun and it blinks and it kind of winks at you and it kind of goes "Eh," you know time to wake up right so basically no matter what time you set it for so you could then at the weekend kind of go i want a bit of a lion so i'm going to set it for 9 30 this morning yeah your kids will still know that it's because they're not looking at a clock face and they're not looking at a digital clock they know the time to wake up. i still
2: get confused with you know like the old school clocks to be fair yeah i know and you get and the 24 hour clocks as well yeah that goes right over my head <laughs> yeah. well this so this would be, be for me
3: perfect well i road tested it last night and no joke i woke up twice in the night and the first thing i did was look at it to see how many stars were left i'm not even joking and then this morning i set it to wake up at eight o'clock i got up at seven thirty, and i was excited i watched it for three minutes to see what happened when the last star disappeared and when the last star disappears it turns yellow big sun comes up and your kid knows it's time to get out of bed so I think it's quite good to sleep train, and you get a free little book to read. That's cool. Um, and yeah, and it's kind of it's um, it's kind of cool. And how and much it,
2: is that one? Did you say?
3: So this sells for about nineteen pounds ninety nine. Um, so they say at the Grow Company, we believe safer sleep for babies means a good night's rest for the whole family. And I guess that's the whole the whole thing that they do is the all these like sleep um, mm. aid and safe sleep products. So yeah, the Grow Clock and the Grow Egg two, I think they're good products um i road tested them and
4: they seem. um is there any see- da- is there any dads in the box
3: no no just a baby again are you sure yeah yeah, yeah. Nope. it's just a baby there and a baby are you there. wondering why it qualifies as dad tech
4: no no i just want to are no, you want i just want to know i'm really no i'm just i just find that just uh lots of packaging when it comes to promoting pa- uh products like that the parents so no, this sounds- is
3: parent neutral
4: okay it's interesting that's a Thing. No, it's good. I mean, yep. no, it's good. I, I'm, I'm, uh, because uh, they're not, not many are. So it's right. good to see that. Just to be aware of these things.
2: Yeah. So there you go. That is dad tech. <coughs> Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 10. Thank you, Shawnee, for coming on.
4: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: If people have listened to this episode and really kind of liked and been interested in what you've been talking about, how how can they get in touch with you?
4: Uh, They can get in touch with me. Probably the easiest way is probably Twitter. Uh, Just my name, Shawnee uh, O'Kane, S-E-A-N-Y-O-K-A-N-E. Or if you type in Think Fathers, I also come up on Twitter as well.
2: Jamie, thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. Yep. Uh, And thank you, the listeners, obviously, for, for tuning in and join us again next time. Next time, next time, next time.